Welcome to Peer Pressure. Today's guest is Doug Gillard, known for being a member of Guided by Voices, Cobra Verde, Death of Samantha, Jem, playing with Sally Crew now. He's got many, many accomplishments under his belt. We'll take a cruise through his childhood and music that made a difference to him. Thanks to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast, and thanks to Liz Berg for handling all the other podcast duties. We are WFMU. Stay tuned. I do have Doug Gillard here to my left. Is that speak to me, sir? Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thank you very much for coming. It's uh, it's exciting to have you here, and yeah, and you are a huge friend of FMU. Stopping by again with the uh, the ridiculously crazy schedule that you have, and uh, how many times have you played here? Well, let's see. Uh, in the last couple of years, it's been about three different times: mm-hmm. once with Bambi Kino, once with Sally Crew and the Sudden Moves. Mm-hmm. Um, my own band, the Doug Gillard Electric, played on Joe Belock's show. Um, I've been on Sue Braun's show in years past, just like kind of solo acoustic things. Um, back uh, at Uppsala College, Death of Samantha was on WFMU. And my dad is dead when I was in that lineup. We stopped by. That was a long time ago. Do you remember what DJs, what shows those were on? I don't know if they were both Gerard Cosloy's show or not. Oh, okay. They could have been. Well, that would have made sense because uh, that was the uh, the the homestead era. Mm-hmm. What was that for you? I mean, and you've done so many, many things, and we're gonna we're gonna have to get to that list at some point. But Death of Samantha was in the the sort of glory days of Homestead. Um, mm-hmm. What was that like? Was there a uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, and I don't know if it played. We out. opened up for Sonic Youth when they came to Cleveland and um, okay. their Band Moon Rising tour. Uh, that's about as homesteady as it got. Okay. No, no, actually, we played a CB showcase um, in '86, I think mm-hmm. here. It, uh, I mean, a um, Homestead Showcase case at CB's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It might have been one of the first CMJs or something. Oh, right. No, okay. Can't can't remember. Yeah, because that was kind of the, the, I mean, I hate to say alt or indie explosion, but that was really one of the first labels that people paid attention to, sort of post-punk and, and all that. And I don't know if it was, if you saw any difference, that mm-hmm. was one of your very first bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But Homestead was just such a legendary label. Right. You know, so. That's true. Yeah. And so now, what are you doing now? Uh, I'm touring a lot in the band Not A Surf, and I played all over their last record. Um, the stars are indifferent to astronomy, and um, so we've been touring all year promoting that record, and it's kind of ongoing. I'm home for a bit right now. Let's see what else. There's the band Bambi Kino, where we do sort of the Hamburg uh, Beatles experience. <laughs> we do the covers that they did, and uh, Ira, the drummer from Not A Surf, mm-hmm. is in that band with me, as well as Eric, the bass player. Uh, from Cat Power and um, Mark Rozo. Is that how you ended up in Not a Surf? No, no. Actually, I was I was playing with them first. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. how did you um, wind up playing with them? How did how did that happen? Oh, well, I, I actually my own band had a uh, showcase at Pianos, not a showcase, a uh, residency. Mm-hmm. And Matthew, the singer from Not a Surf, came to one of the shows, and then I ran into him at another show. I think it was Bob Mold and. Um, he said, hey, we're doing this record. 
do you want to come and just play a couple licks on a couple songs? I said, sure, that'd be great. Then that turned into, hey, you want to come play this one show with us to promote this album of covers? Sure. Then that kind of snowballed into, nah, just tour. <laughs> just come on tour. Hey, play on the new record. So so are you an official member of the band? Well, I'm I'm sort of a, a, a touring member and, you know, contributor. So, yeah, I think that's going to just that keep that going. That and sounds like a permanent member then. Well, yeah, I mean, in a way, sure. I saw that you had, um, you were posting on Facebook when you were in Switzerland. And there were, and I had to ask you about your posts because they seemed, I don't know if that was, was that when John Lord died and you were posting sort of deep purple, you're, it, it seemed like you were posting lyrics to Smoke on the Water. Well, it was only because we were in Montreux. Right. And I just thought that was... It was cute. Fitting. Yes, to do, but it was. But so, so it wasn't tied in with his, with a, with an homage thing. Well, n- not. A, I wasn't aware of it at that time. Oh, actually. okay. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if it was that close. I think it was pretty close. Really? Actually, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he did just, just pass away. So you're gonna go back to Switzerland then? Uh, yeah. It's summer festival time. So. <sighs> that's a, that's a wonderful thing. How do you feel about summer fests? <laughs> it's, it's always an experience. <laughs> It's always different. You never know what the back line's going to be. Um, sometimes it's muddy. Sometimes it's not. Oh. Sometimes you're in a tent. Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's not. I don't know. What's It's wh- always fun. I mean. What's the most um, challenging uh, festival situation you can think of that you've undergone? Mm, challenging. We just played a um, the, the the Door Festival in Belgium, and, and Door is a town. Mm-hmm. They always have a big festival. It was really, really, it was a mud fest. Oh. It was raining constantly, raining on and off. It was hot and raining. Oh, even better. Yeah. Yeah. People were all muddy. I felt bad for the people that were watching the shows, but, they you had, know. The stage was covered. Stage was covered, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there was no risk of electrocution. Right. Good. That's always good. You don't need to sort of. It might not been a v- the most challenging one. There was one when it was Guided by Voices. We played uh, a festival in Kansas that was mainly a jam band festival, and they had, oh, by the way, there's an indie rock stage over on the side. And so it, at the time, it was like us and Spoon, and I forget who else. Uh, we had to drive our van through lots of hacky sack players, and <laughs> oh. it was on an, in a national park grounds and um, to find our way to the stage. So did you did you take out any hacky sack <laughs> players? No, no, did we didn't. Did you want to? Um Everyone was everyone was being mellow. So well, yeah, those are sort of mellow, <laughs> mellow gatherings. No, I would have rather taken out the bands that were playing than not, <laughs> right. not the poor people. Right, right. Yeah, the people that paid. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny. Um, so uh, you have um, you've got some solo stuff that you've been working on um, d- that you released, mm-hmm. right? What's uh, what's happening? I mean. I almost don't even know where to start because you are a member of so many billions of bands, and and that is an exaggeration, but it's not by much. Um, going Carl Sagan with that? Um, <laughs> I I could be, I could, yeah, yeah. No, just the first billions is enough. Yes, I guess. yes. Uh, yeah, I have a few solo things out. Released a single last last year, or this year, last year. Yeah, I think it's two thousand. Breaking into. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a record out right before that called Call From Restricted. It's a full-length LP. And one before that, um, Salamander. So uh, I'm working on something else right now. Um, and you did just, uh, 
Can you tell me about the Death of Samantha reunion? Uh, yeah, Death of Samantha reunited last year for a show around Christmas time in um, in Cleveland, and we're probably going. We are actually scheduled to play another show in Cleveland for uh, WRUW station there, Case Western station that uh, I also grew up on. I actually was on WCSB, Cleveland State Station, right. as a DJ for right. a while. But yeah, yeah, WRUW they're they're both amazing stations. Um, so. So Death Samantha's playing again there and releasing a uh, an LP pretty soon of uh, pretty much our rehearsal from last year. So kind of just kind kind of a live rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Just going to put it out. It's all our old stuff. Cool. Well, I think it sounds great. And are you rec- uh, are you planning to record anything else with them? We don't know. We yeah. might. Yeah. We might cobble together some new things. But it's great that the band in itself time. is still intact. I mean, the people, you didn't have to get any replacements or anything like it's that. It's more like re-intact, yeah. Re-intact, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's actually the, the members the band started with, so. Yeah, that's cool. John Pekovic, Dave James, Steve-O. Yeah, that's hard to do. Yeah. You know, now nowadays, so. And, um, um, oh, a listener wants to know, um, uh, is have you considered putting out a Best of Gem record? Hmm. That's a good thought. I could do that eventually. Hmm. And then what has you decide to um to write solo stuff because you're involved with so many bands? Do you write and then sort of feel it out and say this is actually going to be a solo thing for me or or is the writing process different? No, well, sometimes. A couple of years ago I was coming up with a lot of ideas for um for lifeguards at the project I did with Pollard mm-hmm. um, that you played last set. Yeah. Um, I kind of had to decide, well, do I want this? Is this going to be a good instrumental for, for Bob to create over, or is this something I should use for myself or not? I mean, I mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah. I mean, I- is there um, a band that you've been in where the writing process is so completely different or a, a very different experience for you? Uh, hmm. Well, most bands I've been in haven't been really been collaborative writing. Mm, okay. Um, that's only really started when I, I collaborated with Sally Crew on the, her EP, mm-hmm. kind of co-writing, both mm-hmm. both people really contributing to the song. Well, okay, the, the the records I did with Robert Pollard were collaborative, but that was music only and then words only. Oh, okay. Not sections of songs. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a collaborative effort, mm-hmm. those the Speak Kindly of your Volunteer Fire Department record and the lifeguard stuff. But um, I did a project also with Kendall Mead. Um, she had a band called Mascot. So a couple of years ago, we, we co-wrote a little pop song together. So that's fun. But I've, I've always been writing solo things. I did stuff when I was a little kid. Oh, yeah. The, the bands just kind of took over, you know, so. Right, <laughs> yeah. And at what what point? I mean, what was your upbringing like that um, you were writing things so young? Or were, were you from a real like music friendly family? Music friendly, yeah. Um, we were gr- uh, we were in rural Ohio in the cornfields, and my sister had moved to Germany for three years. Her husband is in the service, so to communicate, mm-hmm. everyone thought it'd be great to get a reel to reel tape recorder. So oh, they wow. got one from J.C. Penney, so it's just like a little quarter inch two track. Maybe one track. I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, "Hey, I have songs." I just started 
playing drums and playing. Is drums your first instrument? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I wasn't playing drums yet. I was playing a hoppity hop and uh, coffee cans and things. But yeah. making up songs and hiking in the cordon field with our dog and just making up dumb songs about animals and cartoons and things like that. That's how it starts. Yeah, got to start somewhere. So so you mailed back and forth reels to each other? Uh, not with the music, that was just to talk yeah. and say, yeah. "Hey, how are you how are you doing? Uh, yeah. we're doing we're good, doing good over here." Yeah. And she'd send one back and but we'd 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 buy blank reels so I could do some songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That's cool. But you know, I mean, getting being encouraged at that at that age you know i mean some people really aren't and then dreams die or or ideas die well true yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and what what was the um the first band you were in hmm first actual band was uh i was in school band i mean i was you know Mm -hmm. played percussion and drums and all that stuff but i was already playing guitar and so the first actual band i really was playing out in was called suspect device in cleveland was it a cover band? Well, we did a lot of covers. It was named for a Stiff Little Finger song, and we did a lot of sort of anthemic UK punk things of the day. Mm-hmm. Had to be political. Oh, it had to be. Pretty much. That's okay. the singer. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, that's what he gravitated towards. But yeah. I don't know. We did Ramon songs, and and uh, we actually did a Mission to Burma song. And I was underage, but we would play in the bars still. Somehow I I passed. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, Did anything ever have to be um, uh, arrangement made because you were underage going into bars, or you just went in and never said anything? They just kind of never said anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone else was in their mid twenties, and I was about sixteen, seventeen. Wow. Maybe. Yeah. 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 But you know, you, you cut your teeth that way, so. Yeah. Absolutely. Very funny. Um, and well, actually, there was a guy named Sean Saley in the band for a little bit, too. He was my friend. He was actually a little bit younger than me. Um, and he and I ended up in Starvation Army right after that together. And then he moved to D.C. And he has been in bands like um, uh, Corrosion of Conformity and uh, other other things. Oh, wow. Are you still in touch with him? Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, he was in Children's Crusade with me and some other some other Cleveland projects. He was in The Guns. uh he was in Starvation Army for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh. um, let me see if I have anything else here to ask you. Um, well, so you do so much. And um, how do you actually, ma- how do you manage to do what you do? I mean, do you follow a certain discipline in terms of practicing, in mm. terms of your scheduling? Well, because you're here, you know, you were just on on tour, and I've had conversations with you about being here. You've been to FMU like a million times. You're in, you know, and, and yes, I exaggerate when I speak. But however, you really, you do a lot in music, and it's not just always one thing. So how do you, how do you keep it all straight? Last year was really tough to switch gears between so many different types of bands, but um, I don't know. You just kind of get yourself in a certain headspace before before the, uh, each tour or show starts or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a practice helps uh, with a band. <laughs> uh, or sometimes I'll sit at home and just kind of go through the set list and play. But I don't really practice a lot. Really? No, not enough, no. 
Um, I have to remind myself to, you know, play a little bit. Time to play. Yeah. Time to play. (laughs) Hey, you, time to play. Um, I guess, um, so do you prefer working with a couple bands or a couple outfits at a time or just being in one band? Like as a, you know, what you're doing for the year or for the months? Because it seems like you could really do whatever you wanted. It seems like you could kind of... I guess I I prefer, because I have a lack of concentration, I prefer maybe one thing. Mm. But... I find that I need maybe two or three things. And that, <laughs> and that's because why do you say you need more? Well, just uh well, I don't know. Is it an, an, an well, attempt I've, or it's a creative? Actually, I prefer thing. to be in one thing and also have time to do my uh Oh, your own stuff. to write to write and record my own stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have a recording studio at home or do you record at home easily? I don't really have a big setup. I just kind of Anymore, just going to GarageBand or, or voice memo on the phone. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Well, we were talking. I about like to that. pay engineers to do things anymore. I can't, you know. I engineered a couple of four-track records in my time, but I don't know. I don't want to do that anymore either. Yeah, well, things have. But that's more my changed. speed, <laughs> yeah. technology-wise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I'd rather I'd rather pay guys that are really quick at doing all the housekeeping. Mm-hmm. So yeah, getting it done. Is it harder for you? L- we were talking before, and you were talking about like making a memo on your phone and that kind of thing. Um, does does music so- sort of does it all come out now because you can get to technology quicker? Like every idea, um, or well, how how does it differ in terms of being? I mean, you've been a musician and a writer for for decades, and mm-hmm. with having things at your fingertips now. Is it sort of like everything that comes out you record and then you realize you have to sift through more or do you just sort of hang on? Not to really. Stuff? I mean, not really. Being busier now and just having all sorts of things going on, mm-hmm. meaning being older, uh, it's it's about the same because even though that's at your fingertips, uh, a, port- a portable cassette recorder was at my fingertips as a kid or, you know, as a teenager or whatever. And it's pretty much the same. I had more time. I had more time to concentrate on the songs then, too. So, in a way, that was better mm. because I had less going on. Well, you're in demand now. <laughs> that's that's all there is to it. Well, I, w- I wouldn't say that exactly, but well, I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to be working in in the, the medium I'm working in. And uh, did you ever think that, that that music would be your full-time gig? I'm assuming it is. I don't actually I always, I always, I always kind of strove for that to, to be the case. Mm-hmm. I always wanted it to be the case. So was it ever sort of like a big-time goal or just like a put your head down and this is what I'm going to do? I guess more the latter mm-hmm. thing you said. <laughs> it was always a big-time goal in the back of my head, and I went for practical things in school and tried to see if there were things I could, you know, mm-hmm. have as backup that didn't have anything to do with music and I really wasn't good at anything else, so. <laughs> like, I better get good at this. Yeah. W- was there any um, part in your life or any um, any contact or influence that really was sort of like the catalyst that got you into more more music or more contacts with people? Like for... There's always There's always a few friends that are like that and they lend you records and you just your eyes are just open and whole new worlds 
mm-hmm. open up. I mean, for the longest time, it's various radio stations, oh, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. CKLW as a kid, AM, which is the Detroit station we used to get over the lake. Oh, right. Just AM bubblegum stuff. And on TV, it was the Archies and the Monkeys and uh, this and that. And then I'd kind of discovered sort of college radio as an early teen. Well, and you were I read on a lot of Cream magazine and everything. Oh, I mean, this is yes. pretty much everyone's experience. I'm just. Well, we want to know I think about it's yours. That's the fine. Same. Well, and you said that you were on WCSB. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you meet people that turn you on to deeper things. There was a guy named Fraser Sims that was uh, in Starvation Army that we started off kind of writing more sort of post-punky, gothy songs, and then Starvation Army became sort of a hardcore band. And uh, anyway, he had been he had been to England. Ooh. He'd been to Scotland, man. And uh, he had all these fall records and s- started lending me all this stuff. And Killing Joke and you know, a lot of Stooges, things like that. So Velvet Underground. So. That's a good sort of waterfall of music to start to be introduced to. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was everything. So yeah. um, he had a lot to do with, with kind of hipping me to, to further down stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were friends of mine, Dave Swanson in, in Cleveland had a great radio show. He's from Rainy Day Saints, and he was in Death Samantha and Cobra Verde, too. Um, mm-hmm. Just had a vast knowledge of, of 60s psychedelia and freak beat. And so he just, things that he would play in the van was a great education. And, and Robert Pollard had a great knowledge of, of things. He'd make compilations and play those in the van when we toured, so... Ah, so your tours were also these uh, these, these it could mo- be. moments sure. of uh, of real uh, yeah richness in terms of uh, learning and taking the uh, taking the pressure off the next gig and just like mm-hmm. listening to. Well, it's still nice. going on. I, I love yeah. I love communal listening when everyone when someone puts something on and everyone just kind of has to listen to it in a van or yeah or whatever yeah you know yeah that's really even if it's something you might not like you know it's. I, I like that. Though. Well, and then communal listening. Somebody will tell you why they like it, and then you start listening in a different way. Sure. You know, you you hear a song on the radio, and it. May I love not being turned on to stuff all the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then somebody points out, but oh, listen to the baseline, which you might not have paid attention to because exactly. the vocal was driving you nuts right. or whatever. <laughs> and then you actually, and, and it is it's it. a different way of hearing mm-hmm. when you get somebody's. Um, point of view on that yeah 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 that's cool um so speaking of point of view you are here to be a guest dj and um what are we starting off with what's your your first song and what do you want to say about it oh there's so much to play um this this stuff isn't indicative of the most important stuff in my life or anything it's just kind of but this is uh this is just something that i always liked that was fun nikki sudden back Mm -hmm. to the coast we actually covered it in death samantha one time was that recorded no oh okay so we it's on a videotape from a live show somewhere, but... Nice. All right, then. So my guest is Doug Gillard. Some Nikki Sudden for you next. Please stay tuned. Tell by the way she looks at me 
Turned. My guest is Doug Gillard. Hello, Doug. Hi, Diane. And uh, well, we just had some an awesome set there. What would you like to say about? Uh, do you want to go from the top or from the uh, back announce? We can just back announce, I guess. Okay. So uh, the Gun Club. Thank you for playing the Gun Club. Oh, welcome. It's one of my favorite songs of theirs, actually. And uh, is is this a? Uh, Something from your your radio days? Yeah, I I play that a lot when I had a show. Um, Death of Samantha had the opportunity to open for them once too. It was oh, their really? Las Vegas story tour? Mm, how was that? It's good. It's any, really good. Any good stories about the show or the? All I remember is after the show, I didn't really try to talk to them, but John did, and I guess he was in the back trying to he was talking trying to talk uh, tell Jeffrey Lee Pierce about Steve Wynn. And Jeffrey wasn't liking it at all, so <laughs> um, <coughs> they weren't buddies. So yeah. Well, you were there from, uh, and then Carl Perkins before that. Oh, I forgot to write that down. Yeah, Carl Perkins, um, just a just a cool song by him. Her love rubbed off. You called that? Did you call it a cool song? I thought you called it a weird song. Did you call? Well, it, it is kind of a weird song, but that makes it a cool song. <laughs> yes, indeed. I don't know. It's kind of a dark thing from him mm-hmm. kind of wild I, I guess you could say he's an influence but there's a lot of early guitar players that were influences so and what about Buck Owens yeah my dad had some Buck Owens records in the house when I was growing up and so you'd always hear the live version of that that Buckaroo and uh instrumental and, and I think Don Rich was his guitar player I think we, we had the live at Carnegie Hall album Ooh. there's a picture of them in their suits in front of Carnegie Hall and That's at Buck's Crystal Palace, there's some, some of those suits are under in glass there in, in Bakersfield. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I So the I Crystal Palace been. still exists. It's sort of a muse- museum and uh, showplace bar, mm-hmm. kind of big roadhouse, you know. Oh, wow. Still there, I think. Who knew? And yeah, it's great. Everyone should go. 
some T-Rex before that. What do you want to say about uh, T-Rex well, et al.? Went through a huge, huge, huge T-Rex phase when I was kind of av- kind of came up through the punk bands, and then right after that, and during Death of Samantha, kind of went head head first into that whole deal. I wanted to be Mick Ronson and Mark Bolin wrapped up into one, and blah blah blah. And so I've always I've always dug that song. It's from kind of before the record, right before Electric Warrior. Right, the the pre-hit. They were kind of, of between acoustic and electric, and so it's, it was great. And they sell the bongos. Yeah, but yeah. Tony Visconti produced. Still produced this first kind of pre-Electric Warrior album. And I think everyone knows the best T-Rex is the uh, Visconti-produced years. Those three or four records that he had oh, s- yeah. something to do with. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've always liked that song, Jewel. And then uh, preceding T-Rex, mm. the Pretenders, up the neck. It's a great rock album. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times, I, given the chance, I would play longer songs by these by these artists, but kind of picking the shorter ones just because there's not much time here. But uh, I'm, I, Yes, I need to share with the listeners that Doug is stressing over, like, I want to play all this music. Which <laughs> is, and you are getting to quite a bit, which is really great, because sometimes I end up just talking to, right, to well, my guests too, which is, which is great in its own right. And but uh, uh, James Hennemann Scott's one of my favorite rock guitar players, mm, pretty wow. much. Just kind of his melodic way of playing also, but also has the rock... Mm-hmm. There, oh, I don't, yeah, mean, I don't for know, sure. for sure. And but it's simple. I mean, I. So that's a great. Exa- that song has a great example of kind of what I like about his playing. Mm-hmm. Day after day would be another one. You know, kid. But I've always really loved that first Pretenders record. Yeah, it is. It's a real and mainly record. that song. So and then and did you love that Pretenders record from the get go? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One thing about the Cleveland, um, the commercial station there at the time was really pushing. They were playing a lot of tracks from that, probably because Chrissy had sort of a Northeastern Ohio connection. But mm-hmm. they did play it a lot. It was great. So my experience around here about that record was like, was like, yeah, it's cool. Everybody's playing it. It sounds good. But it was almost deemed mainstream, which was almost not cool. Hmm. And I had the record, but I think that at some point there was a little bit of like, m- maybe this is too popular because mm. there was always that bit about you know you don't you want sure. it to be your own band. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people who are into the sort of underground music scene at some point don't want bands to be successful so they can be their own discovery. And then you're like, well, no, they need to make money That's so they exactly can continue. True. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. exactly true. But uh, I think I ran into that with the Pretenders myself. And, and uh, I don't I didn't investigate that album that heavily because it was all over the place. And it's a great record. You yeah. Know, you can play that record straight through. It's like it's an awesome record. Well, I think once you look past brass and pocket, everything else else on the the re- there's a lot more to find out about the band after. I mean, that song did get tons of airplay at the time. Yeah, I mean that's still a great song too. But sure, and let's then, see what was before that. Oh, the monkeys. Oh, the monkey Saturday's child. I grew up on the first couple of monkeys records because my sister had them and um, she was out of the house by then and left a lot of records behind and I was just kind of. Wow, you know, just kind of the grooves were white. Have you ever oh, had records yeah. that got to that point? Uh huh. Yeah, they get played so much. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I abused them too. I didn't take yeah. great care of them. But well, what kind of record player did you <laughs> have then? Oh man, it was. Well, we had a stereo. We oh, like, like a big, a, the big console. Kind of a console thing, a Sears mm-hmm. thing, where you dropped it, the records down into it and looked mm-hmm. like a piece of furniture. Yeah, like a, it's like a little canyon that you. And put after that, I had a, almost a close and play sort of thing. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, I 
with a tone arm that weighs about a pound and a half. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, my monkey's records did not survive. But uh, that song written by uh, David Gates of Bread. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. When he was just a, kind of a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the monkeys on TV? I did. I don't know. It, I think by the time I started watching them, it was, they were already in repeat. Uh-huh. But they still played them every Saturday morning, like a lot. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It was a tail matter. end. It was like the late 60s, yeah. maybe early 70s. But yeah, the whole, like, goofball band thing and still all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that anything that you ever wanted to, like, like this is why I want to be in a band? To drive around in, like, a cool car and, like, run up to the ocean and then run back when the tide comes <laughs> in? It didn't have much to do with that. I, I didn't really watch those parts. I just kind of watched when they played music. Yeah. And, and what uh, about the what about the Partridge family? I watched that a little bit. Mm-hmm. The music wasn't as good. Yeah. Well, but uh yeah. It was like the the family band thing. I just well, I just watched Susan Day all the time. <laughs> mainly. <laughs> okay. I didn't really pay attention to the band part of that. Right. The teen, the teenage boy speaks. Well, that's true. And uh, and before the monkeys then we had the uh Nikki Sudden. Oh yeah, back to the coast by Nikki mm-hmm. Sudden. And um you have, I guess, the best place to, for people to look at your um, musical repertoire would be your Facebook page. Uh, well, right now it it would be um, it's the the Facebook music page that I have, the you know the like likey page. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, and you have a whole lot of stuff up on uh, SoundCloud also. Yeah, there's a SoundCloud page with some examples of uh, various songs from the solo records up there. And uh, and it looks as if there's some music there um, of you at a much younger age. Oh, there's a couple songs. There's a, there uh, there was a whole cassette release that I uh, had done back in 1990 of that stuff. Oh, okay. And I I guess I digitized it. I haven't released it again, but mm-hmm. um, I I brought it with me. We could throw it on later, maybe. Oh, good, <laughs> good. I don't know what to play off it. It's just. Really silly stuff, but well, but that's how you you know how you either you get confidence or you realize that it's something that's important to you. Right. I mean, you know, you start playing a lot of instruments. And uh, did you do sports or anything in school, or was it a music? Oh, I tried. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, I, I tried. I, I tried out for track. I was in track for a little bit, and uh, um, but no, I wasn't um, very good at the sports. I just kind of played frisbee at home. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, so then, so so, fa- or failing or not not excelling at one thing, then of course I was good at up. bumper pool. We had a bumper pool table. Oh, but then you excel at something else. Obviously right. The uh, the music. I was thing. good at driving. <laughs> so do you drive when you're on the road? Are you one of the drivers? Oh no. Mm-mm. Hmm. So you don't prefer that kind of driving? No, no, not at all. Other things to do. The sightseeing, though. Are do and you the sightseeing and the sleeping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy doing the sightseeing on the on tours? If there's enough time, yes, yeah, sh- sure, certainly. I love that. Well, some people don't. Every now and then there will be a day off um, if you're in a place that has sights to see. And yeah. Most of the time it's just kind of go, go, go. You're right. Not, and uh, you're not, not able to get around to see things. So. Mm-hmm. What um what places have you been where you would have liked to or or recently at least where you would have liked to have stayed longer to do more of a sightsee thing? Hmm. Let's see. I don't. I don't know. Um. What's your favorite place on the planet? 
Well, I, there, there, there's kind of too many of those. Oh, okay. That, <laughs> there really is. We were just in Brazil a few months ago. That was really great, and mm. um, we did get to see a lot. That okay. That would be an example. We were in we were in a city Belém that was near the rainforest, but we really didn't get time to take an excursion into the rainforest. Mm. So we, it's kind of right on the Amazon. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a whole different world. Mm-hmm. And th- that part of Brazil, that's so- southern hemisphere, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, well. Yeah, I think it is. I think yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it it is on the the equator. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So um, you are here as a guest DJ. What do we have up next? Uh, this is Norma Tenega. Um, she had a record out called Walking My Cat Named Dog, and it's a whole album. And then this this song didn't make it. It was af- kind of after the record. It was kind of a s- follow-up single or something, but in the same year. It was like 66. My sister always had this record. The record was in our family somehow. Maybe mm. it wasn't hers. Maybe it was my brother's. But I don't know. I just always had this record, and this song's never been on an album. And um, I always used to start off my radio show with this song. It's called Bread. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and it was produced by uh, Herb Bernstein here in New York somewhere. It was a Bob, Bob Crew had this label called New Voice mm-hmm. and hired this guy, Herb Bernstein, to produce a lot of things and record a lot of things. So... Um, I don't know where they recorded it. I think it was this studio that was in the um, the Victoria Hotel that a lot of Bob Crew stuff used to get recorded in. And uh, rumor has it that Ellie Greenwich would just she would be kind of a house backup singer for these various sort of unknown projects that would go on. Wow! So she could be in these backup vocals here. I don't know, mm. but kind of. Something to listen to. Neat. So yeah, so this is Norma Tenega, usually known as a f- folk artist, kind of, kind of doing more of a swing and rock thing here. Very good. And uh, my guest is Doug Gillard. You can check out his, uh, you can like his page on Facebook, and you can listen to the selections that he is choosing here. We are WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WFMU.org. Stay tuned.
Shadow's dog, snooping all around, shadow's dog. 
And we have returned. My guest and guest DJ is Doug Gillard. And uh, Doug, I just have to share with you a, a comment that a listener wrote who said, mm. even as a child, you could kick Jandek's ass. <laughs> that was kind of, that was, that was kind of Jandek sounding. Well, and one. how old were you with th- this last song that we just heard, which was you, a song called Chinese Dog? Chinese Dog. I was, I was probably six, I would say. Maybe yeah. seven. Maybe seven. We what? had a we had a Pekingese dog, and uh, oh, you did. That's why I said Chinese dog. But <laughs> I hardly ever saw the dog. We kept it, they kept it outside. Oh, really? Yeah. Like Pekingese doesn't seem like an outdoor dog. <laughs> they kept it tied up, and th- there was a doghouse for it. And then the, his name was Bimbo. Was it was it not friendly? Was, was Bimbo not friendly? Bimbo wasn't friendly. Oh, so that's why yeah. Bimbo was was relegated to the doghouse. No, actually, actually, Bimbo died more when I was like five. Oh. Five or four, and then we got stubby. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Chinese dog. So was Chinese dog about stubby or about bimbo? Bimbo. Bimbo. Stubby was another, was not a Pekingese. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. And uh, and thanks for playing that. That's such a, a delight to hear your uh, y- your young talent. And uh, oh, thanks. It's. That's cool. It's, it's kind of funny to listen to that stuff, but it's it's also precocious. So. Well, and you have I'm, it. And I don't like that. Well, and so many people don't, I mean, people don't have recordings of bands that they were in, and you've got some old recordings of you, you know, creating things that when you were young. Well, yeah, thank, thanks to my mom that was willing to turn on the tape recorder mm-hmm. for me. Well, anyway. It may, I mean, it may not be, you know, the music that you're most famous for, but somewhere in there is your foundation of, of, of creativity, at least, and, and being allowed to do it, you know. So well, it's uh, funny because I, I did everything in open tunings for a while before I really learned how to play and learned how to, you know, tune the guitar to standard tuning. Mm-hmm. I just kind of tuned something to where it sounded like a chord and played play around the neck that way, just like one finger or whatever. Oh, okay. And then as the strings kept breaking, I didn't know how to change a string. I didn't know how to put a string back on. So I would just play with less and less strings. <laughs> oh. You oh. worked with what you had. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then when did you learn to string, string your guitar? Uh, probably when, when they were all gone. Yeah, when, the when they were gone. <laughs> when the strings were all gone, you finally asked for help. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a real guitar until I was maybe nine. Mm-hmm. So, I love hearing stories about you know the other ones. The the things on those recordings were just kind of plastic. That's sort of, they're sort of between a toy guitar and, and an actual guitar. Mm-hmm. Sears was making those then. So, oh yeah, the. Uh, and uh, so before the Chinese dog song, we heard off of uh, the Pinups record. Mm. Yeah, don't bring me down. Good old um, Pretty Things song. And um, I, is that correct? Is that a Pretty Things song? I know there's another Pretty Things song on Pinups, Rosalind. But I think Don't Bring Me Down was theirs too. But I've always loved Mick Ronson's playing, and um, uh, that's a good example of it. So as you're both looking at liner notes here, I honestly <laughs> don't know. Let's see. Right. Johnny D. Well, I mean, I think it's something the Pretty Things made popular. Oh, okay. Or, and did on their records. Right. I could still be wrong. And uh, we heard from the Soft Boys before that. Oh, yeah, the Bells of Rimney. Um, Why did you choose that song? So. I've always loved their version of it. It's on their Only the Stones Remain EP, and uh, I've done that in solo sets occasionally, acoustic, acoustically, kind of their take on it just kind of that version mm. so it's just nice 
And then uh, we heard from Death of Samantha. Mm-hmm. That was our first single. It's called Amphetamine. And is that that's not on the album? No, that song did not end up on the first our first album. So this was on St. Valentine Records, a uh, kind of a Cleveland label that that uh, John, our singer, and um, a couple other people had as a collective. And uh, oh. so that was a self-release, you could say. And will we see that on the newer Death of Samantha release, whenever that is? Yeah, that song, we, we redid that song. It's going to be on it. And did you change it a lot? Not really. Or you just sort of beefed it up a little and... It's just us playing the song. I mean, it's a it's a tape of our rehearsal, so you know, it kind of sounds live. Was it was it recorded? Uh, how many tracks? The new the new one? Yeah, the rehearsal thing. Yeah. Oh gosh, I don't know. There's a lot of tracks. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't actually it's, really know. Yeah, that's, well, it's easier nowadays. Yeah. To to do many many tracks. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then the Brotherhood of Lizards. Before that, tell us about the Brotherhood of Lizards. That's um that's Martin Newell. Um, from Cleaners from Venus and uh, a friend of his called Nelson doing some of the instruments. But it's kind of a after post Cleaners from Venus project he did in the early 90s. And um, all the drums are with a drum machine, but it's it's really great kind of jangly pop stuff. That was called It Could Have Been Cheryl. A friend of mine here, Scott Schinder, who is a friend of a lot of people at FMU actually, uh, he's, a, he's a writer. He was responsible for re- releasing this stateside back when it came out. Oh, really? Yeah. And Death is Math and Cobra Verde would always go, and sometimes we'd crash with him, and uh, he gave this to me when it was coming out. So I've always really liked this stuff. Yeah. What was before that? The monochrome set. Mm-hmm. So we had a double shot of the monochrome set this show because I played them earlier because they have a new record out. Yeah, I played them earlier. <laughs> they, have a, they have a new record out. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was, pulling, I was pulling these records while you were playing that record. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was a song that was always on a cherry red compilation called Pillows and Prayers that I've always really liked. Um, so th- some of those compilations you just always can go back to. Like mm-hmm. the, the, is that one of your comfort compilations? <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. And that was uh, Ein Symphony de Grauin, mm-hmm. I guess. No, I'm not sure. I don't even know what that means, actually. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not gonna correct you or... Yeah. Okay. Because I have no idea. <laughs> and then from the Who. Oh yeah, there's a song from. Um, I say that it's from the Magic Bus album, but it's actually from Happy Jack or something like that. Because uh, Magic Bus was a kind of a collection of things they would just done, and the label Deco wanted to put something out while they were on tour or something like that. So I was in a grocery store when I was about, I don't know, seven or something, and made my mom buy it because the cover was so great. It's really colorful, and they're on a they're on a bus, and it's painted, you know, like flower power and everything. Oh, good. And I'm really glad I have it now because it's it's got some really great stuff on it. Pictures of lilies on it, and so it was on sale. It was it was being sold at a supermarket. Yeah. Oh, good. Most supermarkets oh. had had records then. At least in Ohio, they did. Hmm. They had a, like three, maybe three or four bins of oh. albums that were out. Yeah, I guess there was a. I don't recall that specifically, but I suppose that I could see that now if I think of the the supermarket of yesteryear. Uh, yeah, so you could you could drive up, get a pineapple and some vinyl. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and then, uh, how about that Chrome record that you played before that? Oh yeah, uh, that was from 
Half Machine Lip Moves. Yeah. And uh, TV as Eyes was that song. Just always, always been a fave. As a, as a college DJ, how much did you play that? I played that song a lot. And um, there's another one on that record that I used to play a lot. March of the Chrome Police, I think it's called. Yeah, Chrome was one of those, w one of those real college radio discovery bands for me. Mm -hmm. Just, just like, wow, wow. That know. particular album connected with me more than their other stuff, though. For some reasons, mm -hmm. before or after that, everything's kind of more landscapey, and this one was just sort of, it struck me as more succinct rock songs. Mm. I mean, as much as Chrome can be that, I guess. Right, right. They have their moments. Yeah. And then uh, speaking of, of rock songs, there was uh, some, some cheers for the Dave Edmonds track that you played on the uh, the playlist. Mm. That might be my favorite rock pile song ever. I mean, it's it's Dave Edmonds' album, but it's it's rock pile mm -hmm. playing the whole, on that whole record. And uh, everyone knows that Nick Lowe's solo, solo record, especially the second one, was the band rock pile. And so... Why do you think they're, uh, the Rock Pile members' solo records are better than the Rock Pile record? I don't, I don't really know. I think there was just this big effort to really produce them and really slick it up a little bit. Because none of those guys did so that well. I think solo. the stuff on Seconds of Pleasure kind of lost punch Yeah. somehow. It's still great. I mean, it's still still a good album. But, but it, it, it is, I mean... I tend to go more for this Tracks on Wax record by Dave Edmonds and... Yeah. Maybe some of the Nick Solo stuff, right? Whatever. Well, and and Solo, they they both had he, like rabid, huge fan bases, and and you know the chops, etc. But it just seemed like Solo they never did that well, and it seemed like Rock Pile was a not a project because they mm -hmm. played together. It wasn't like it was put together like a you know like a teeny bopper supergroup, but it was almost there was a machine behind rock pile that, yeah. that seemed, I don't know if it was disingenuous or it was just too, too damn eager, but there was something about like, Oh, finally. And, and I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know if their personalities, if there was something about like, well, we don't tour this much or we don't, I don't really know anything about any of them. I think it was hard for them to tour together. All those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nick, Nick and Dave, especially, but I mean, I don't really know. Yeah. I wasn't close to the situation at all. I, didn't even see him live. I was too young to go to the bars. <laughs> <laughs> they came to Cleveland several times, I'm sure. I just, I really wish I could have seen him. Mm, yeah. And then, uh, let's see what was before. Oh, and then uh, Norma, who we spoke about. Norma Tanega, yes. Yes, yes indeed. Well, and uh, it's about time for me to let you go. Well, it's been really fun. I really appreciate you and, letting me. Well, and thank you for being here. Just, uh, um, you, there is a DougGillard.com, is that correct? Oh, yes, yeah. there is. It's kind of under construction, but it has, right now it's just kind of one page, and you can find out how to get records, get my records if you want. Mm -hmm. There's a sample of the single up there and um, everything, so that's, that is there. And, uh, and, and, and do like Doug Gillard on Facebook, and uh, check out the, there's some really great stuff on the, on the SoundCloud page to I guess there's a there's a, a combination of a lot of different things on there right on this on yeah the page. yeah combo mm -hmm. of lots of things and uh, I just I want to thank you for being here for for all that you you know your contribution to music in general you know and uh, well for decades now you know you've been that like that guitar player who's been in you know so many bands and and a huge <laughs> friend of FMU and you know um 
and it's great to see that you actually make the time to, to come in and sit down and hang out for a little bit. Well, yes, of course. I mean, favorite station. Who wouldn't? <laughs> well, th thanks a lot. The list of who <laughs> wouldn't is probably very long. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, and, and our listeners are thanking us as well. So what are we going out with? What's the last this song here? What is this? It's the seven inch over there. Oh, it's my single. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is my. This is the uh, the, the most recent thing I've released. Um, so it's called Breaking in Two, and I I recorded it last year. Travis Harrison played the drums and also helped engineer it with me. Um, I guess I played all the other stuff, but. Do you do that a lot? Do you still play multi multi instruments on records? Yeah, I'm. I'm getting so. I'm getting so. I don't really want to do the drums. And that was your first instrument. Yeah, but as far as yeah, but do you think it takes longer to keep up your someone's chops to keep up one's chops as a drummer? Wow, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, maybe. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of drummers that are great up until like really old age. So yeah, so not being a, I've never really been a professional drummer, and uh, right, or played sets with bands, and I mean, I don't have a kit right now, so. So you could just give somebody a call. It's great fun, but I I know my limitations on it. Right. So, right. but so if you had to write a percussion only, uh, uh, piece, you could. Oh, I could write great. I mean, it's my ideas, lots of ideas. <laughs> the execution of it is right. Another the coordination is another thing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, anyway. Yeah. Enough about that. Enough about that. And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, enough about us. We're going to get to the music. This is the last selection in uh, Doug Gillard's guest DJ set on the peer pressure section of the program. Thanks again for being here. Well, thanks a lot, Diane. Really yeah. had a great time. Good. And uh, and the listeners, thank you as well. Well, thank you so much. Breaking in two, Doug Gillard. Please stay tuned.
And that wraps it up for today's podcast. Thank you to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast and to Liz Berg for all the other background work. We are WFMU.